In our liturgical calendar, there's several different feasts of the cross, all of which commemorate the cross used in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, unlike Good Friday, which is dedicated to the Passion of Christ and the crucifixion, these feast days celebrate the cross itself. And coming up on September 14th, it's a feast day of the exaltation of the cross. Joining me today to let us know about how truly incredible it is that we have relics of the true cross of Jesus Christ. Well, I can think of no one better than our good friend, Julianne Durko. Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, good morning, Brenda. The cross of Christ, you know, we it is the salvation of our humanity that Christ bled on that cross. And it is a powerful relic of Christ himself. There are many who have had the incredible ability to see and venerate a relic of the true cross. That we have this is incredible. And there is one saint that we can thank for that. And that's St. Helena. Tell our listeners about her. Well, let's do a little backstory with St. Helena. She's a remarkable woman. So in her younger years, when she was a single mother, because her live-in, she may have been a common law wife, we're not sure, of Constantius. So he's a tribune then, but he's got military you know, uh, goals mm -hmm. and he casts her off. So she becomes, because he needs to marry the stepdaughter of the, the Augustus of the Western empire, you know, it's a military move or, or a political move at least. So she suffers that. And then she becomes a Christian when it's illegal. So you had to make the offerings, the sacrifices to the gods. They weren't much, but you had to do that, you know, in certain well, certainly if you were in the military, you had to do it or you couldn't be in it, you'd, you'd be executed. So it was the ebb and flow of Christian persecution. It was that time in certain areas was not as bad as others, but she, she became a Christian during the persecutions, which I think is so interesting. But she raises Constantine and then later he joins his dad and then his dad dies. The dad's political aspirations actually work. The dad dies, he gets sick, he dies. So that's Constantine makes his way politically, and then we have the triumph at the Melvian Bridge. You know, anyway, he becomes the emperor and she becomes empress. So she wow. goes from being a born commoner, a kept woman, <laughs> a single mom, an illegal Christian, to being the empress. And then her son, they were very close. Mm -hmm. There's evidence that they were very close. One of the evidences is that she's not only empress, he names her Augusta, which gives her a lot of power. Wow. It's not equal to his. But it is an Augusta. She is a leader with him. So not equal, but she's got some, the most, she's the most powerful woman in the whole world. What a story, huh? That is an incredible story. And she remained faithful through so many trials. And the story goes is that she sends and goes herself to find the holy relics of Christ in the Holy Land. Now, this is three, more than 300 years after the death of Christ. Mm -hmm. And Christ died on a, on a hill where all the crucifixions took place. So there's remnants of all kinds of torture and death on that hill. She has a way to find the true cross. Tell our listeners how she did that. Well, Constantine, when he became the emperor, he declares Christianity legal. Okay, so he makes it legal and they are the ruling family and they are trying to promote Christianity. He, at this point, 
it seems historically for political reasons. She, for heart reasons, she mm-hmm. loves Jesus, right? She's a Christian. And so um, and she goes to the Holy Land. Before we get there, let's just talk a little bit about Helena. By this time, she's not a young woman anymore. She's probably about 80 years old. And in the fourth century, 80 years old is not what 80 years old is today, right? We have longer lifespan. So 80 years old in the fourth century was pretty, pretty ancient, actually. And she's going to make this trek. It's going to be at least two years to get there and then a couple years to come back. And then the time that she spends there excavating and doing the archeological work. So there's a lot to it, five years minimum turnaround, really. And she's older like this. She's, you know, I'm, so I think, wow, if this isn't the case for you, you never retire from being a Christian. Mm-hmm. You never, you may retire from the job that you work, but, but God doesn't want you to retire from being a Christian because eternity is our reward, right? And on her way, she practices all the corporal works of mercy. She wow. frees prisoners. She gives clothing to the na- She She does a lot on her way. It's um, documented by a historian named Eusebius. Anyway, so she gets there and you're saying, well, how does she know that this is the cross? Well, first of all, what happened was that a temple to Venus had been built over Golgotha and it was being torn down. Her son had already ordered the demolition. So it was being torn down. So when she arrives, it's in process. It's in the progress of doing that. Um, And there's Christian graffiti and everything showing that people came from all over the world. That was the known site from, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you can find that graffiti is even being found today. I mean, recent. So it, it's definitely the site. And so uh, they get down into like a cistern and they find three crosses and they're preserved. And there's a certain way that it was closed up that it preserved the wood. It, it, was, it was the old wood from then. And she didn't know how to determine. She knew she was in the right place. She didn't know how to determine which it was. So they had a, a crippled person and who was very, very ill. And they had that person touch each cross and the third one healed them. So that's how she determined that was the cross. And then, so she dispatches the cross. She dispatches it, uh, some of it to Constantinople, which is the center or the, the primacy of the Roman empire. Now Mm -hmm. that was, and then she leaves some of it in Jerusalem and then she takes some of it and other things obviously back to Rome. So what happens is, and, and the reason why we don't have a lot of relics is because the um, crusades use the cross to lead them into battle. And so at the last crusade, the Muslims get it and they burn it and they destroy it. So that's gone, right? And so what remains, that's from uh, the Jerusalem cross and then also Constantinople. Those were used in battle and they're gone. Uh, So the cross and the remnants and the head pieces of the headboard were taken back to Rome. And what's interesting, because we've got in Roman history, we've got, you know, Rome is sacked. We've got the fall of Rome. We've got the Vandals, the Huns, you know, the whole thing. And in the 1600s, there is a church, Santa Croce, well, in the front is more modern. I don't know when it was built, but in the very back of it that it's built onto is her original palace. Wow. And so when they were remodeling, they find a hidden compartment and and a trunk. And these things are in there. Whoa. 
there's been a lot of archaeological study on the headboard, the, the titulus, and it is just little clues, like it's this piece with, the, you know, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, little clues like a, a kind of a, a way a letter is said that was only done in that time frame is on the headboard, the piece they have. So okay. that dates it. There's all these different things that it's almost irrefutable. It really is a piece of the headboard and you can go to Santa Croce and see it. And uh, it's just interesting that it was hidden away and kept. And anyway, that's how we have that. And I know that um, today, you know, there's a lot of false relics of the cross, you know, there's to make money or whatever mm-hmm. like that. So they have to be verified and have paperwork with them that traces it back, whatever. But when they have something that's traced back, uh, one of the best ways to to test it is kind of like St. Helena did, but in an exorcism. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that it's Christ the King. They've got a relic of the true cost that was given to Monsignor Sayak. And he said that it has documentation, but that it was actually used and it and it's a it's a relic of the, it's, it's a tiny little thing, but cost. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, incredible! So on this feast day coming up on September fourteenth, well now you know the story as to how it is that we have these relics, these splinters of the true cross and a true saint and a, a lover of Christ in Saint Helena. Julie, you bring the lives of these saints so alive and so relevant to all of us today. Saint Helena is not somebody just in the past; she is a saint for us every single day. Julie, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, if you want to learn more about the lives of the saints, be sure to tune into Julie's show, Your Next Mission from God, where she breaks open the lives of so many saints and make them relevant for you today. Remember, you can find the podcast and archives of all of Julie's past show at materdayradio.com. You'll also access them on the Hail Mary media app.